Hello and welcome to the Weekend Booktopian, the podcast where a few booktopians get together each week to talk book news, share what they've been reading lately, and then face off in a deathly round of book trivia that we like to call book fight. I'm Olivia Frico, senior content producer and editor of the Booktopian blog, and I'm delighted to be your host yet again this week. Uh, joining me today is Ben Hunter, our fiction category manager. Hi, Ben. Hi, Liv. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Excellent. Um, I'm also joined by Nick Vasiliev, uh, my fellow senior content producer and social media manager. How are you, Nick? Very good, Liv. That's good to hear. And finally, we have Scott Whitmont, our business development and relationship manager. Hi, Scott. Good morning, Liv. Hi, everyone. All right. So this is week three of lockdown now, I think. I've lost count. So they're all, they're all blending into one at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so back in the digital world, it uh, feels exactly like last year. I don't know about you guys. Um, but let's not dwell on the sadness and let's move on to some great book news. Uh, so the major announcement this, this week has been the winner of the Miles Franklin Literary Award, uh, which has gone to three times nominee Amanda Lowry uh, for her novel The Labyrinth, which is published by Text Publishing. Um, so this, she's an eight-time novelist. She, like I said, she's appeared on the long list three times and on the short list twice. And Amanda Lowry has taken home the $60,000 in prize money. And I believe she's the second Tasmanian author to have ever been given the award in the 64-year history. Um, ben, I believe you've been reading this, am I correct? Yeah, I just very quickly bought an able copy and have uh, tucked into it. Uh, it's atmospheric and wonderful uh, and a little bit sparse. Uh, it leaves a lot for the reader to do, which I'm enjoying. Uh, and and that, that has been the kind of feedback I've seen on the reviews and such is that um, this, this book is a, is a gift to the reader. It gives them a lot to do. Um, it's also, uh, you know, we, <laughs> We spend a lot of time and energy, um, and, and rightly so, on new writers um, uh, and, you know, trying to bring about new voices and, and talk about what's new and, and, um, and that's, that's totally fine. But um, I also do get a thrill uh, when a career novelist takes out a big win like this. Yeah, um, someone really who's been doing the work for, for you know, <laughs> years, maybe decades, um, and, uh, to, to get that kind of validation, um, that's, that's a career changing moment, um, for anyone. So good on you, Amanda. I hope you enjoy it. Enjoy the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that $60,000 in prize money is, um, not to be sniffed at. Is that the term? I don't know. There was a cranky <laughs> article and I think it was the Sydney Morning Herald or something about how Australian literary prizes are useless and a lot of Aussie authors going, um, actually, if I got $60,000, that would be a life-changing event. So, mm. uh, yeah, congratulations to Miss Lowry um, for winning the Miles Franklin. And for, for uh, listeners who don't know, it's it's a story about a rift that can develop between parents and children and about this woman, Erica, who buys a shack on the south coast uh, to be near her son who's in prison nearby. And uh, I haven't uh, finished reading yet, and I'm really looking forward to it. Ben, especially after your words. So hmm. good on Amanda, as you said. It, it is interesting, having touched on the, the Miles Franklin, we did, we did a, a podcast on it, um, that th there was a real theme to this year um, around the books, around the actual space that each one was written in and, and in terms of what they talked about, the themes within it um, and stories of set in there was a sense of desolation guilt denial and i think that in that regard this book is a is a worthy winner in terms of mm. of that mindset that everyone is in right now and the mindset in which these books were selected i think it's uh it's a it's a good pick it's a good pick as well yeah. um the goal for the miles franklin winner i guess is to not only be of highest literary merit but also to present australian life in any of its phases and if we're in a bit of a sparse um, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say depressing, but like, cause I don't know if this book is depressing that it, like, it seems like it's kind of about, you know, loneliness. Walking into it, it, it's, it's, yeah. um, it, it, it did feel oddly, um, destined to this time. Uh, the, 
<laughs> the, the beginning oddly is is at a closed down mental asylum which is where i feel like i am <laughs> um uh and and it's this this uh, protagonist is going to a place of solitude self-imposed solitude um and and seeking which she doesn't know what but I, I would i would call it a sense of healing um from from a deep family trauma um and yeah that 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 does it just it just works <laughs> on so many levels i was just going to say that each year sometimes there's a standout one that you think is going to win but i think this year's shortlist they all had something fascinating you know, that makes you want to read them you know uh, lucky's amnesty and mm. philosophy at the edge of the solid world they're, they're all they were all really worthy shortlist titles you know some years i look at the shortlist and go oh, why did they shortlist that i didn't think that any of them this year i think um you know if readers want to grab those half a dozen shortlists they, they'll do well with all of them um but uh yeah hard for the judges to decide but great great decision in the end yeah well said yeah well, wonderful uh, congratulations again to Amanda Lowry, um, and I think it's time to move on to our what we've been reading and loving section, which, as we all know and love. Um, so, Ben, why don't you kick us off and tell us what you've been reading lately? Yeah, all right. So, um, right at the going into this Sydney lockdown, I uh, took a couple of weeks off because I was going to move house, right? Um, <laughs> so... I didn't get to do much stuff around the house because I, I literally can't go to Bunnings. <laughs> um, and so I've just been sitting in this kind of half done thing, um, uh, reading different things and uh, reading during lockdown is, is a gift, but it's also a challenge. Um, and I, I wanted to spend the time reading some things that I wouldn't necessarily be able to read as part of my regular schedule. Um, He's a philosopher uh, at Oxford, and he works Oxford or Cambridge. Oxford, I'm pretty sure. One of the one of the fancy ones. Um, he's mates with Peter Singer and that whole kind of crowd. And uh, this this book is a meditation, yeah, and a and a breakdown of existential risk for society and humanity. Um, so not just uh, things that would be cataclysmic, like uh, severe climate change or war, but um, things that would be species limiting. <laughs> so severe runaway climate change, nuclear war, um, uh, disease was one of them. Uh, and uh, this was written years ago. So that's there's foresight in that, I guess. Um, there's a, there's a lot of foresight. There's a lot of clear-headed thinking, and it's 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 about it's about reframing your view on humanity as a long-term project, tens upon tens of thousands of years. Um, and it it um, it's it was heavy stuff because it is about literally the worst things that could possibly happen and how we should consider them. Because why wouldn't you, right? But um, it also sat nicely with um, how my own thinking has been evolving uh, as, you know, like we educate ourselves more and more about the tens of thousands of years of cultural history um, in what we call Australia. Um, and thinking about that longevity and about when you, when you extend humanity beyond just a couple of hundred years, you, you see this incredible um opportunity this promise of there's just so much more good stuff to come and so you know toby's um uh concept is like what about what if human humanity is just in its infancy what if everything we've achieved is just um the equivalent of a two-year-old um taking its first steps um uh so why wouldn't we protect that um so i thought that was really cool um and yeah a very different read for me something um yeah i don't usually play with those kinds of books so i really enjoyed that 
I think it's fantastic that lockdowns had the effect of uh, um, temporarily moving our fiction category manager to read philosophical nonfiction. Good on you, Ben. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Um, I remember that book when it came out because we did a Q&A with Toby on the blog. And I just remember thinking this is really interesting, very prescient book, prescient book. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He's a he's a smart guy. <laughs> I would love to pick his brain one day. Um, uh, the other big chunkin book that i i used the time to read i uh, was chunkin, crossroads that's a good word chunkin yeah uh it's crossroads jonathan franzen um it's a big book about an american family uh it is 1972 uh the husband is a pastor uh the marriage is on the rocks the children are breaking off in different directions um disgusted in their own way with their father's uh, lack of integrity and his own personal shame. And the, the mother has incredible mental health things that kind of come out through the book and then that is reflected in the children. Um, the counterculture comes into it. Vietnam is obviously a big part of it. Um, but also faith is a huge part of this book, faith and morality, right? Um, mm. Uh, and yeah, Franzen is a, um, uh, a wonderfully uh, hateable character because <laughs> it just fits perfectly into the mold of like the big capital A American white male author. Um, and his last book, Purity, uh, was, was, was almost spiteful in its comedy, uh, just intentionally trying to write the most hateable characters and leave a terrible taste in the, the reader's mouth, um, but still elicit empathy from them through the power of authorship. Um, that was his great challenge. He's kind of stepped back from that level of um, comedy and satire and, 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 and tried to do something much more subtle. Um, and, and apparently this is the first of a big trilogy um, which I would be interested to read because I, I feel like there's a, there's a big focus on the father character in this novel. And I, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with his children, his daughter and his, um, well, he has three sons, but they, they focus on two of them. One, one is, one is still very young. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they're, they're brilliant characters. And um, I, 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 I did really enjoy living in this novel for a bit. Um, and it did ask very good questions of the nature of faith and um, where we derive morality from. Uh, and how would you compare it to perhaps The Corrections, which is his, you know, bestseller from years ago with yeah. wonderful characters, but characters you love to hate. Does he continue to do that in this book? Yeah, that, like that characters is still, you love to hate? still definitely the thing. I, um, it's been so long since I've read The Corrections that it feels more like a, <laughs> a feeling like <laughs> I can't really grasp that book very well in my mind anymore. But um, yeah, it, I, I would definitely say it's, it's a return to that form. But maybe um, uh, I'm maturing of of the style. To he he does look very much to classical authors a lot. Franz and um, this novel actually takes its title from uh, Middlemarch by George Eliot. So yeah, yeah, there, there was. Oh, that was, or was the the name of the series was gonna mm. draw from that somehow? Um, all very intelligent and fussy, um, but yeah, worth, worth a read. Um, it's got yeah, an ambitious I, subtitle: "A Key to All Mythologies." That's that's the thing, yeah, <laughs> the key to all mythologies. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think it is. It, I would say it is definitely closer to the corrections than it is. Uh, to purity so so i think a, a lot of fans will, will will be happy to hear that <laughs> um i am but, really interested in this one um just to cap it off the thing i'm reading right now um is a book called love and virtue by dana reed um which is a debut novel from a 25 year old author um australian author which is in, getting incredible praise it's from ultimo press who are this um uh, new upstart publisher. new publisher imprint um 
uh, and this book is all set within um, campus life um, at a prestigious Sandstone Sydney University. Um, and it is about, as well, the nature of morality and acting justly and what, what virtue is. Um, and it, it plays with that theme in a very contemporary context of uh, disgusting campus behaviour and um, a power and student-teacher privilege and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I feel like <laughs> with, with a, a, a vastly small number of pages, <laughs> smaller number of pages, uh, Diana Reid is, is, is tackling the same questions that Franzen has around morality and, and what it is to be a, a, a just human or, or to, to act in sincere kindness and what is sincere kindness. Um, so that, that, that's a really nice um, uh, contrast to have those two books stacked on top of each other in my little reading life. Um, so I'm really loving that one. Uh, the name again is Love and Virtue and the author is Diana Reid. I think that New Ultimo Press is uh, picking their beginning list very carefully and uh, putting forth some real gems. I think that's a publisher for us to keep an eye on. They're going to produce some great things going forward, I think. Mm. Yeah, they seem to have the gravitas of a, one of the big five. Like, that just seems to be where I'm coming from, like the calibre of the authors that they're producing. Like, they've got Claire Coleman, um, who, as we know, was an established uh, First Nations specific writer from, I think she usually publishes with Hachette. Um, and it's, just, it's interesting to watch them pull this incredible pool of talent, um, mm. despite being so very young. And I think it maybe just is down to the quality of the team behind it. They're all like- Yeah, they're very experienced. They came from the big five publishers from various ones mm. before. So they know what they're doing. They've been around the traps for a while and and this new boutique, you know, publishing house, it's, it's exciting to see in, in a time which is challenging to have a new one you know, uh, emerge and succeed. It's, it's great for Australian publishing. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks so much, Ben. Uh, Thank you for letting me ramble on. I'll, I'll be, try and be quiet now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've convinced me that I do actually need to read the friends and because I took it home and I was like, Oh, I don't know if I'll get to it. I didn't love the corrections, but maybe I'll try this one. It is um, a so brick you. in your defense. It is a, it is a big, I, there are a lot like of the corrections ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, Nick, do you have any bricks on your list that you want to share with us? I've been uh, I've been on a bit of a, a bit of a, a crime and thriller kick lately, um, off the back of uh, the fact that it is now Crime Month here at Booktopia. Um, and the first book which I have finished, and I know that Scott's going to be talking about this book as well, so I'm so uh, I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit on this. That's one, all right. We'll share the conversation. We can no share problem. the conversation on this one, but it's the new Robo. It's the When You Are Mine, uh, his brand new book, um, which is was the first time that I actually have read a Michael Robotham book. So I was coming yeah, into this. I was going to say, with... tell people Robo is Michael Robotham. Yes, I know. Yes, Michael Robotham. Robo. <laughs> Sorry, for yeah, we, we always call him Robo around the office, um, which is <laughs> that's our name. Um, yes, yeah, so the story uh, of of it feel, uh, follows a police officer in metropolitan London um, who goes by the name of Phil Phil McCartney, and she. Uh, basically where the story begins is she is called to a domestic uh, situation um, and arrests a man who she believes is responsible. However, soon it is discovered that this man is a very, very high profile police officer. And uh, so suddenly... Uh, and not a very nice one at that. Exactly. And not a very nice one at that. He's renowned in the, in the, in the, for, in the force as a, as a hero. He's a highly decorated uh, officer. And suddenly Phil starts being effectively kind of ostracised by people in the force. But at the same time, she also starts to strike up a friendship with the, um, the victim of this... Uh, of this of this crime who's a woman by the name of Tempe Brown but it turns out that Tempe has got some secrets of her own that she uh, is willing to kill for and I am just going to leave it at that because I do not want to go down any further spoiler territory right now but it is a great well, well I'll, I'll add something which I think is part of the intrigue of the story and I don't think it gives too much away is when uh, somebody ends up 
dead, uh, who's not already been mentioned in the story, uh, Phil, which is short for Philomena, by the way, starts to investigate and uh, she wonders who could be involved and Tempe's got her secrets and background. Could she somehow be involved? Mm. Or could this this guy who had abused Tempe, who's the renowned officer who's uh, quite crooked, could he be involved? Or Tempe's uh, or um, Philomena's dad, who is known to be a uh, a crime boss himself, very successful businessman, a bit shonky. Uh, yeah. Could he be involved? And as you're reading it, you know, <laughs> who could be involved? Any one of them could be involved. And that's that's the brilliance of Michael's, uh, you know, plot line that all the way through you're thinking, oh, I think Tempe, the victim, actually could be a criminal. And like, oh, no. The police officer she was with who abused her, he's the guy, oh, no, it could be Phil's father. And you're guessing all the way through mm. and it is resolved in the end. And what I found refreshing about it is, um, you know, all of Michael's books are, are fantastic to read, but he's got a number of series and he says himself, it was a bit like a holiday for, for himself to take a break from all his uh, mm. series characters and write this standalone with characters he's never had before, stands by itself, introducing Philomena who, who really mm. wants to succeed as a policewoman, but how do you succeed as a policewoman when it's known that your father is a bit of an underworld shonky businessman crook himself? Uh, how, how is that looked upon in the force? Not, it's not very easy for her. So that whole subplot, you know, it's very, very clever. A really good lockdown read, I think. And you, we want escapism and something to, exactly. to take us away from the four walls around us. Uh, Michael's always good for that. So whether or not you've read a Michael Robotham, you can start with this because, as I said, it stands alone. He's sold over 8 million copies of his books around the world. So, you know, something's uh, obviously <laughs> good there to tell anyone who hasn't read him. The great reads, um, When You Are Mine, I fully endorse uh, your your own endorsement, Nick. It's a it's a great read. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a it, like he it, it just it, it it reads so easily. You could you could devour 50, 60 pages of this very easily. You can tell. I can tell that that Michael had a great time writing this, which yeah. is. A lot of listeners who aren't familiar with his books uh, might have seen the wonderful TV series that was on uh, last year, The Secrets mm -hmm. She Keeps, which was based, uh, that TV series based on his book of the same name. So it gives you an idea of the sort of, you know, intrigue and plot, uh, you know, subplots that, that he can mm -hmm. weave if you saw that. It's, got, it's selling like crazy, this one. And it's, he's got more TV on the way. Um, he's yep. just going from strength to strength. I, and I, we should I add really, that if people order from us, we have autographed copies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if, if, while they last. Yeah, while they last. They're, they're but, but you did spend a whole afternoon signing <laughs> thousands of copies. So. I could just see the panic in Ben's eyes, just going to go, no. <laughs> no. By the time <laughs> it comes out, we might be out. <laughs> Carter sold out yet. He's, he's, sold, he's signed a lot. <laughs> It'd be surprised. We love Robotham. We do. He's, we do. he's great. Uh, what else have you been reading, Nick? So outside of, uh, of that, I've. Also being, in terms, this is what I'm reading currently, um, and that is the, uh, the first one is The Echo Chamber uh, by John Boyd. So I got the chance to read uh, A Traveller at the Gates of Wisdom last year, which I really enjoyed. And this is complete polar opposite. It was a very expansive, wide story that, was, uh, that encompassed so many characters and people and families. This one uh, follows, it, this is a very much a satirical examination of the world of, of social media and image um, through the lives of a family, the Cleverly family. These guys are horrible, unsympathetic, narcissistic, awful people, but unfortunately for me, they're also extremely interesting. So I, ha so I am compelled to continue to read about these fascinating characters. But there's uh, basically the makeup of this family is uh, the a big dad. His name is George. He's a kind of a patriarch, BBC chat, chat show host. His, his wife is Beverly, who's a novelist, um, though who claims to be a high profile novelist, though not as high profile as she'd like to be. And their three grown kids, Nelson, Elizabeth and Achilles, um, who each have their own problems and issues of their own. Um, and it basically talks about how the world of social media that they all obsess over and the obsession with image actually comes back to, to bite them and demonstrates the, uh, the damage that one wrong comment or wrong, one wrong message can actually have. Um, 
it's a really witty story with fantastic characters and someone who works in the social media space i've seen what goes down here happen way too many times um which so on a personal level it was incredibly uh, an incredibly fascinating story um quite funny often it, the subject matter it's dealing with is quite it can be quite serious it's a very very bonkers satire and examination with a lot of messages underneath um but highly recommended it's it's a how, how to imagine you relating to a book about obsession with social media what's <laughs> well, that space i'm in no god no couldn't couldn't imagine that look i'm going to stick my neck out john Boyne as well is um, funny to me because he's had a few run-ins with i think it's young adult twitter ya twitter yes he has um, over some criticism of one of his previous books and just watching that escalate and then watching some people like call him an egghead or something like it was just farcical it's like what are you all doing <laughs> yeah I, so I was it's funny to me that he's written this book now <laughs> i would stick my neck out and say he is my favorite contemporary author really I, I don't think i've ever read a book of his i haven't loved uh some loved a bit more than others but you know the, there's no duds in john boyne's uh you know stable of books which is quite significant now he's i don't know how many he's up to but it's sort of 20 plus novels i think and uh each one is a bit different great characters always great storytelling always looking at a different theme um it's not a series they're all standalone some historical some contemporary i always enjoy a trip down john boyne to John Boyne land. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading this one, Nick. Um, I've, I've got a copy, but uh, anyone out there listening who hasn't read John Boyne, you know, whether you read, you know, The Absolutist or um, every one of his books, they're, they're all gems, I think, uh, whether they're controversial or not, they're all really good storytelling. And uh, it's, and he's pretty consistent about one a year too. He's, he's very, very good. He's Irish, but he's, his partner's from Australia. And so when it's not lockdown, he was spending a lot of time out here at visit, uh, you know, every year or so. Um, so he's got an Australian connection, but yeah, great novelist. Yeah. I love that he changes it up all the time. Um, but le- my last novel that I'm reading. Um, so as mentioned, we are in the middle of, of crime month and we recently featured uh, Ian Rankin's crime uh, or books that he has on his shelf. And one book that kind of, uh, sorry, not, so, sorry, not Ian Rankin, um, Kerry Greenwood rather. And one book that did stick out was a book by Terry Pratchett that uh, I know what a, what a contrast I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting my bookshelves <laughs> mixed up. Um, <laughs> oh, look, are you reading the Nightwatch books? I, I am reading them. the Nightwatch books. I have picked up Nightwatch because it's been sitting here and I, I read these a long time ago, but I actually never, got round to getting back to the to, to the Discworld series. And um, I am revisiting it now and God damn, God damn it is so good. It is fantastic. This particular book, Nightwatch, uh, in this series, it follows uh, Sir Samuel Vimes, who's the commander of the uh, of the Ang Morpok City Watch. Um, and this book- Iconic character, I such, love him. Yes, he is an absolutely iconic character. Is there a- can you hear something in the background, by the way? Is it quite loud? No. Okay, awesome. Sorry, for a second no. there, I thought that, that it, was, it was coming through. Anyway, but yes, it, so it's, it's, this book starts on the 30th anniversary of the glorious revolution of the 25th of May, um, which is the, the anniversary of the death of John Keel. And basically, it, the, it, the book follows the story of, uh, of a serial killer, but a serial killer who targets coppers. Um, in this uh, in this world and so it's it's a really fun enjoyable romp of a book um, of the story as Sam has to try and you know track down this murderer this serial killer but there's also this is also happening in a time where the city's kind of on the brink of uh, falling into complete and utter civil unrest um, so he also has <laughs> I mean, to try it really and always is, it? it really like, is always on the brink of riot. Yeah, it always is. And it's, so he has to try and track down this murderer and change the outcome of the rebellion. Um, it's, it's absolute chaos, but it is so fantastic. It's so fun to, to watch. I've been a fan of, of Terry Pratchett since I was like seven or eight when I first picked up truckers. Um, and this, and the Discworld series, if you haven't had the chance to, to, to pick up this series um get on it it is so much fun there are so many great books in this series um you have 
so much to read. Um, and yeah, cannot recommend it highly enough. It's uh, highly enough. It's yeah. a, it's a fantastic, I'm enjoying this revisit down memory lane. So yeah. Uh, tell there. me Nick, for, for people who haven't read the Discworld series, the, the, it's also a very expansive series. There's a lot in it. Yes. Does one need to read them in order or can you enjoy them by picking them up in any order? I'm going to jump in. I don't <laughs> think you need to read them in order. No, you I do started not. with Bingo, which is definitely not the first book in that series, but yeah. it's hilarious. Um, yeah, for, for context, this is the sixth book to focus on Sam Vines, the, the protagonist character, and it's the 29th in the Discworld series. That gives you a sense of how many books there are. No, you absolutely do not need to, uh, you do not need to read them in order. You can jump hell for leather and have a hell of a, and have a lot of fun with it. It's a great, it's a great series. Yeah, it follows like a couple of different groups of characters. So there's the wizards of like Unseen University and they have their own adventures. Sometimes they cross over. Um, and then there's the wizard Rincewind who is occasionally with them. And then there's the watch and then like, I think yeah. it's important for people to know because often with big series like mm. that, they think, oh, I haven't read number one, so I can't read the other. So it's good to know that's not true. No, mm. jump in anywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of great characters in this series, like, you know, uh, Lady Sybil Rampkin or Cut Me Own Throat Dibbler, which I think is still one of the best names ever. So, yeah, get on this series. Highly recommend it. And that's me. That's what I'm living in. That's, what I, that's the world I'm in at the moment, bookwise. Olivia, what are, what are you, what's on your shelf? You've been talking about the dudes too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have been doing a bit of catch-up reading, um, reading a lot of women authors actually. Um, I just finished the Scholomance books by Naomi Novik. There's a third one coming but next year, so that's the, uh, a Deadly Education and The Last Graduate, the most mm -hmm. nerve-wracking read I've read in recent weeks. Um, last night I picked up Colson Whitehead's new book, um, Harlem Shuffle. Yeah, I'm really excited for that one. And I dipped into Love and Virtue a few weeks ago because um, I needed a new book for the What We're Reading This Month Instagram post. I'm like, oh, I'm going to read that anyway. And then got like a few pages in and had to like go do something else. Um, so I'm going to pick that one up too. But yeah. Very good. Yeah. Scott. I have one more to add that hasn't been stolen and by anyone I mentioned today. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for stealing That's it. All right. That's all right. No, it's fine. No, it's good for people to know that, that we've got mm. multiple people enthusiastic about a title. It, it gives it even more of an endorsement. So it's no problem at all. But uh, I like to, um, uh, you know, if people know, have heard me on the uh, Weekend Booktopian before, mix it up between fiction and non-fiction and not feel guilty about it like uh, Ben does, because I'm not tied <laughs> to one category. But I, I've been reading great Australian uh, non-fiction book that just came out called Daughter of the River Country by Diane uh, O'Brien. It's from Echo Publishing. It just came out in the last few weeks. Um, true story, memoir. Um, Diane, uh, or Auntie Di, as she's known uh, to her friends, is a Yorta Yorta woman, Indigenous woman. She's from the Stolen Generation. She was born in the 1940s. I think she's 75 years old now. And uh, she was adopted by an Irish couple. She grew up wondering why she was a bit darker skinned than everyone else in the family. And she wondered about that. But she didn't find out she was adopted till much later. She had a very traumatic childhood her mother who she was very close to her adopted mother uh died uh when she was quite young um and she was raped at the age of 14 and then her adopted father sent her to the Parramatta girls home and it was only during the sentencing to the girls home that she learned that she was adopted and then in the girls home she was further abused um and then she found out she was pregnant from this rape and she wanted to keep the baby and the only way in those days she was allowed to keep her baby was by would you believe marrying her rapist which is what she ended up doing and she ended up having six kids not all to him but a few to him she was further abused in that marriage as you can imagine and by subsequent partners and really it's a story about her ability to overcome amazing ability to overcome this adversity and this abuse and terrible background and also you know apart from domestic violence problems through drugs and alcohol which you can imagine her turning to after having this happen to her um, but then she discovers in her adulthood that her aboriginality which she just didn't know about and she starts to forge connections with relatives around regional new south wales and um, she's now 
um, with her experience, she's become an activist and a communal advocate and sex, sexual health worker. And she heads an organization, she's CEO of Mingaletta, which is a community hub organization in the central coast of New South Wales um, that looks after health, welfare, and, and does cultural programs for ab, uh, people of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island background. And it's the most inspiring story. From her six kids, she's got 37 grandkids and 60 great-grandchildren. So her inspiration for telling her story and going forward is, is being an example to her astoundingly big family. I mean, if each one of her family buys a copy of the book, it's already a bestseller just from the number of families members she has um, but uh, it's really it's harrowing but really compelling it's quite a remarkable story uh, with the message that no matter how dark your life experience there's always hope so it's very uplifting I feel really bad for her that this last week she's had all these programs that were booked to promote the launch of the book all cancelled because of lockdown in the Sydney you know and environs area and so there's no events with her so I want to sort of celebrate her book in this podcast as a bit of a, uh, a podcast launch because uh, all her launch events have all been sadly cancelled so if you want to be really inspired and learn about hope despite terrible things happening to you you know read this book Daughter of the River Country I, I really recommend it and uh, it deserves to be read and her story deserves to be told. I'm so glad that she, she's done so. So that's wow. incredible. Review. What an incredible person. Yeah, wow. I know. Astounding. Uh, can you imagine being forced to marry your own rapist? My God. No, yeah. no, I cannot imagine that. <laughs> Frankly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they used it's, to have girls in the home sign sign something to say, "Oh, they're happy to have an." They said, "This is to say you're happy to have, you know, painkillers or anaesthetic when we're giving you uh, giving birth." But actually, what they didn't realise they were signing if they didn't read it was uh, the, giving up the rights of adoption. So mm. she she refused to sign anything, insisted on keeping her baby, her daughter Debbie, her eldest, and that that was the result to in order to keep her her child so uh thank god times have changed but uh wow. oh, what, what an astounding story you couldn't make it up really yeah that's um god what an amazing read thanks for sharing that with us yeah that's all right something completely different to <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel we've like discussing. we've covered all kinds of bases um, with our book kicks this week um, well that's the beauty of this podcast <laughs> it is it is scott you're completely right um, so thank you everyone for sharing your book choices. They've been wonderful. Um, but of course, it means that we now have to move on to Book Fight, our weekly book trivia quiz. Um, I'll be asking some tricky bookish questions and our unlucky contestants will have to battle it out to get the correct answer in first. Uh, can I have all of your buzzwords, please? Uh, ben, let's start with you. Uh, I'm going to go with classroom because my partner is a school teacher and she's trying to do Zoom school teaching. So it <laughs> sounds like a classroom in this house. Thank you, Ben. Nick, what's yours? Discworld will be mine. Love it. And Scott, what's yours? Well, I won't do a book one this time. I'll do the word that's most in our minds right now. My password, my, my buzzwords, lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Killing me. All right. <laughs> cool. Let's move on to the quiz. Question one. Um, what criteria must a novel satisfy in order to be eligible for the Miles Franklin Literary Award? Lockdown. Yes. It's, it has to have a theme that, dem, that uh, um, is about an aspect of Australian life, life in Australia and the Australian living experience. You are correct. Um, a novel of high literary merit that presents Australian life in any of its phases. Well done, Scott. That, that's a first. I never got the first question before. <laughs> Woo! <Good job. laughs> well, that one's a bit of a tricky one because I feel like, like they, they say highest literary merit and Australian life, but then I feel like there's a couple of others you need to satisfy. But anyway, question two. What is the title of Michael Wolff's third book about former US President Donald Trump? Oh God! Oh. Hint, it shares its name with a song by Fleetwood Mac. Uh, Discworld. Oh. It's not go. Your yes, own Nick. Way. <laughs> like go your own way. <laughs> it's not go your own way. That's a good suggestion, though. An appropriate one. <laughs> Tusk. <laughs> I wish. Uh, Scott, do you want to throw in a guess? I have no idea. 
called Landslide. Oh, okay. I think everyone assumes is it just a Stevie Nicks song, but she sings it, but it is actually a Fleetwood song. <laughs> Enlightening, and thank it. you. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder Question of President Trump. We really needed that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> is it bad that I was only thinking the book, the book is to more like selling really well? Because um, I believe Michael Wolf somehow got Donald Trump to actually agree to an interview, which. Oh, wow. Seems. Yeah, this is the thing with these Michael Wolf books. He keeps writing incredibly critical things about Donald Trump, but then Donald Trump's like, yeah, I'll, you can be my biographer. You can sit down with me and have access to me when no one else can. It's really well, strange. That tells you something about the man, doesn't it? Hmm. We'll leave that up to our readers' imaginations. Our <laughs> listeners' imaginations, sorry. Right, question three. Uh, Shane Jenick is releasing his debut memoir later this year. By which name is Shane more commonly known? Oh, what's my classroom? <laughs> I think I heard Scott first. Damn it. Co- Damn it. <laughs> Caught in the act. And the you book is correct. called Caught in the Act. It certainly is. Uh, my question was originally going to be, who is the author of Caught in the Act, the upcoming memoir? And then I'm like, the answer's kind of in the name. You are correct. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and I want to just put in a plug for listeners for when that book comes out. You know, Shane visited us at the office and spoke to us. And this is not just a, you know, a silly memoir of anecdotes of being a drag queen. This is all about identity, gender fluidity. There's got a lot of gravitas in that. It's going to be a great read. And I think everyone should jump on it when it comes out. Mm. I've been enjoying watching Courtney um, host One Plus One on ABC. She's really good at it. <laughs> Great. She's great. When we when she came over, she was so much fun. It was great to, mm. to, to, to chat to her as well. So shout out to shout out to Courtney and Shane. Shout out to Courtney Act, whose book is comes out on the second of November. All right, question four. Which Australian book was named Best Fantasy Novel at the 2021 Aurealis Awards? Oh, Discworld. No, yes, hang no. on. I'm, am I getting my I think I might be getting up getting mixed up with Arthur C. Clarke. Because I was going to say animals in that country because that was Arthur C. Clarke. So I'm going to retract my, my Discworld. <laughs> that book did win at the Aurealis Awards, but not the, not the one that I've... Not, it's not the book that won for this question. Ah, the best fantasy novel. Best fantasy novel. What um, is it? I have no idea. <laughs> Do you Scott. all give up? No. <laughs> um, I'll give you a clue. Um, they are published by Alan and Unwin, and they have a 25th anniversary edition of their most famous book coming out this year. Oh, oh God. Who is it? Who is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the answer is The Left-Handed Booksellers of London. Oh, by no! Garth Nix. Garth Nix. Yeah, it would have to be a classic. Yeah, there you go. I've heard excellent things about that book. So, yeah, me too. And he's a cool guy, right? Oh, yeah. I love Garth Nix. Sarah mm. loves Garth Nix. I remember reading Garth Nix in high school. And I'm mm. relatively old. Ah. <laughs> I remember reading Sabriel and getting really creeped out that I had to stop. Anyway, question five. I'm starting to worry that these are going to be too hard. (laughs) Um, But question five is worth two points. Uh, The US author Emma Brody's debut novel, Songs in Ursa Major, is based on the real-life romance between which two famous musicians? Oh, God, I know that one. Oh, geez. It was like, it's it's set during the 70s, like 60s Mm -hmm. and 70s. And it was one, oh, no. Okay, I know this one. Uh, (laughs) So... Janis Joplin and someone else? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I was oh. guessing. Oh, God. They do okay. start with J, though. Oh. I think we, 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 oh. we talked about this in a previous podcast. We have. I talked about it last week. Oh, God. Um, I will give you a hint. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. One of the, one of the musicians' um, most famous album turned 50 last week. Oh, that doesn't help. Most famous <laughs> album turned fifty. Um, okay, it's, okay. Uh, there's the name with a color. Oh, oh, Joni Mitchell. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That that is definitely uh, who uh, Paramore was. Um, she used to make fun of Bob Dylan a lot. She had. 
relationship though with shit. Who would it be? Oh, um, uh, would it would it be um Leonard Cohen? No. Oh. Mm. Wasn't James? I Taylor. should ask Rose this question. She's a massive. What, what was that? James what, what was Taylor. That? You are correct. It was with oh, James there Taylor. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I, in the back of my mind, I thought I think she had a relationship with James Taylor. Oh my god, ancient history. Sure. I didn't know that until I read the book. Um, but fun fact: Brady was inspired to write the book when she learnt that James Taylor wrote his song "You Can Close Your Eyes" for Joni Mitchell. Oh. There you go. The more you know. One of the best concerts I ever went to, James Taylor at the Horton Pavilion. There you go. Really? Yep. Shows how old I am. Don't talk to me about concerts now. All the ones that I that I've bought tickets to are being postponed. Mm. All right. Question six: True or false? The idiom "green-eyed monster" was coined by William Shakespeare. Discworld. I'm going to go out on a limb and say true. You're correct. Yes. It's true. Yeah. It came from Shakespeare's play Othello. Um, the line is, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Yeah, very Shakespearean. I, I knew that, but I temporarily forgot my buzzword. <laughs> <laughs> We've all picked like two-syllable um, buzzwords, so I find that it, they need to be snappy in one for me to remember them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, question seven. We've got two more questions. Uh, so question seven, the Netflix series Fear Street is based on the book series of the same name by which author? Fear Street. Fear Street. I haven't even heard of this Netflix series. Oh, Netflix. Uh, yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, this is highlighting further my ignorance. Can, can you give us a clue as to... I did just give you a clue. No one's listening to me. They also wrote the Goosebumps books. Oh, R.L. Stein. Classroom. I heard that from Ben R.L. Stein. You are correct. <laughs> All right, our final question, but before we go in, um, the scores are Nick is on one point, Ben is on two, and Scott is on three. Um, should wow. I make this last question worth three points just to... Yeah, Do sudden it. death. Do it. <laughs> right, sudden death for three points. Which author was the first author in history to refuse the Nobel Prize in Literature? Oh, God. Um, Nobel Prize in Literature. Um, Discworld. Australian author, did you say? I, I did hear Nick. Was it, did you say Australian author or just general author? Just which author was the first author in history to oh, refuse okay. the prize? Did, did, did Truman Capote win it and then refused? No. I recall he... No. Oh. It's not Truman Capote. Okay, no. Uh, give you a hint, they're Russian. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> um, what's, what's my classroom? Was it, was it Vasily um, Grossman? No, that's a good guess. Lockdown. Yes. Um, I'm a bit confused by your clue because I think I know one who refused it, but I, he's not Russian, and that's Jean-Paul Sartre. Didn't yep, he refuse the Nobel Prize Paul. in Literature? He may have, but the first, I'm asking who was the first. Oh, not the first. Um, oh, right. John yeah. Sartre, I'm sure he did, but obviously wasn't the first. Mm. He's probably, yeah. So it was before Sartre. Uh, <laughs> was it bloody like Tolstoy? <laughs> no, it was not Tolstoy. Not that um, if I give you this final clue, it will give it away. Um, the fam most famous for a novel that has. Um, Doctor in the title. Oh, oh, oh Dr. Javaggio. Dr. Javaggio. Uh, which was. Yeah, I didn't need the author's name. Uh, Lockdown, Boris Pasternak. Yes, you are correct. It is uh, Boris Pasternak. Well done. Of course, of course, Scott would know that one immediately. <laughs> yeah, well, I've read Dr. Zhivago. <laughs> Not in the original Russian. Oh, okay. I didn't know he'd refused that. Wow, that's interesting. Do, do you know why he yeah. refused it? I remember in the introduction to Dr. Zhivago, um, which I've read, I haven't read Dr. Zhivago, but I've read the introduction to it because I, I got very ambitious one day during lockdown. I was like, I'm going to read all the Russian novelists. Didn't. Um, but I think it, it was something to do with the fact that it was something to do with censorship and Soviet Union, I'm pretty sure. Um, 
if you're a listener at home and you know why, feel free to tweet the answer at us or we'll go home and Google it. Um, but yeah, Boris Pasternak, first author in history to refuse the Nobel Prize. Um, but of course, for Book Fight, the final scores are Nick is on one point, Ben is on two, and Scott has taken out the competition with six points. Oh my goodness, never in the history of the, me and the Weekend Booktopian have I even come second, let alone first. It just shows, <laughs> stick at it, don't give up. Thank you, very excited. <laughs> You're an inspiration to us all, Scott. <laughs> the winds are gems, you take them when you can. We can't all be Olivia. My prize is you'll ask me that. I lost to Danny last week. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually very proud of her. <laughs> Anyway, that is all we have time for this week. Thank you so much to Ben, Nick and Scott for joining me today on The Weekend Booktopian. And thanks to all of our wonderful listeners who tune in week after week. Uh, the Weekend Booktopian is produced by Nick Wasiliev. You can find more episodes of this show as, a, as well as other fun podcasts on our SoundCloud and Apple Podcast channels. Um, you can also find more fun bookish content on our blog, The Booktopian, uh, including book recommendations from Ian Rankin and Kerry Greenwood, a recipe for drunken dumplings from Lucy Tweed's upcoming cookbook every night of the week and a guest blog from Daniel Binks on how life, love and lockdown inspired her young adult debut novel, The Monster of Her Age. Um, and you can find all of the books that we've talked about in the description, for, um, description bar below um, or if you want to show your local bookshop some love during this tough lockdown time, uh, we recommend you do that too. Uh, thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au